Brad, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Um, and for everyone listening, um, I think because there are a lot of Raptors fans, um, I think they're familiar with Brad, um, aka Too Much Hoops, and his work. But if you don't, you know, highly recommend you follow him on Twitter and also check out his YouTube channel, Too Much Hoops. Uh, Brad does these very comprehensive uh, defensive breakdowns and just overall breakdowns of Raptors games. And I know recently, uh, Brad, you went back and uh, did a deep dive into last year's playoffs, right? Yeah, I've been going through the entire playoff run, breaking down every win from the defensive side of the ball. Um, and at this point, I'm all the way up through uh, game one of uh, the Warriors series. And I'm uh, just working on game three right now. That's what I was uh, editing right before this, actually. So that's going to be yes. this week. So everyone should check out uh, Brad's YouTube channel. Honestly, uh, I learn a lot just from watching the videos and it must be cool for you. I mean, um, talking about last year's Raptors and, and also of course, we're going to talk about the 2020 Raptors today um, to have a defensive team like this to break down video for, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And that's sort of what led me to make the channel in the first place is uh, I was watching the Raptors games early in the season and getting really hyped about how good their defense was. And I didn't really feel like they were getting the respect they deserved. And uh, it turns out that that feeling was well-grounded because they became the champions, largely because of their defense. Um, but yeah, they just were kind of an incredible defensive team, and it sort of inspired me to to create the channel and, and focus on the defensive side of the ball more. Yeah, and you know, I know we could probably have like a three-hour conversation about this, but you know, obviously with the loss of Kawhi and Danny Green for, for this year's team, um, what has changed uh, for you, like big picture wise, about the Raptors defense, and and I guess the the better question is, uh, how have they still been able to be one of, if not the best, defensive teams in the league? I think last year the the Raptors were really stacked, like they were so deep with great defensive players that uh, like there really wasn't enough. Even even if OG had been healthy in the playoffs, it would have been hard to get him minutes. I think. Um, so sort of replacing Kawhi with his defense is not that big of a fall off. Kawhi is obviously elite, but so is OG. Um, and they're sort of, uh, asked to do different things offensively. So OG can focus in on D a little bit more. Um, and then one, one of the things that, uh, that actually hurt a little bit more than losing Kawhi even, I think is losing Danny Green's length at the two guard position. Um, cause now the Raptors go to like, uh, Lowry and Van Vliet. Um, and that's just a little bit a little bit smaller than you would like. And then there's not that option to, to get that extra, you know, super long wing out there. But uh, in terms of carrying it on this year, a, a big part of it is just like, these guys are genius level defenders. Like you have Lowry, Gasol, Van Vliet, Siakam. Like these are all really smart guys who know where they need to be on the court. And, and another big part of it is just like, when you watch the Raptors, you just see, all five guys are on the exact same page about where the next rotation is. And, uh, and it, it really allows them to excel on the defensive end. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, obviously uh, people talk about the loss of Kawhi and especially what the impact might be in the playoffs. But, you know, I feel like at the same time, people maybe don't think about um, as much about how, you know, OG was not part of that playoff run last year, as you mentioned. And I feel like he can play a, a really huge role in the playoffs this season. Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the thing that the Raptors will miss from Kawhi is that, that, uh, shot making when the offense kind of grinds to a halt. Um, but you know, other guys have stepped up on that end. And in terms of defense, like OG, he's just as big as Kawhi. He moves just as well defensively. 
maybe doesn't have quite as great of hands as Kawhi, but I mean, like he's like a top, you know, five defender. Um, so, so he can replace a lot of what Kawhi did, at least defensively. Who do you think is the most underrated defensive player on the Raptors? Because I feel like we give them credit uh, as a group, and and you know we talk about them a lot uh, individually. But who do you think of the core group is the most underrated? If you, hmm, this is a tough one because I, I it kind of depends who you listen to when they talk about the Raptors. But I think Gasol <laughs> is, is probably fairly underrated in terms of what he does. I think he he sometimes looks to people, especially last year like just kind of applauding big man. Um, but he has really great mobility and he is always in the right spot. And he just has that. He's just massive. <laughs> and, and so like a guy can drive into his chest and he just kind of absorbs it and keep has good verticality, you know, to challenge shots and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, he's just always in the right spot. He's a bit like Lowry in a bigger body. I thought you were going to say Fred, because I feel like people don't talk about Fred a lot as a yeah, individual a defender sometimes. Yeah, he uh, he's great at the point of attack, especially. He's the be- he's the Raptors' best defender at, in terms of dealing with screens. You know, he can get over, get under, uh, stay attached to a guy really well, and uh, and that uh, that's a huge asset. You know, even uh, you know a lot of people like to praise Lowry's defense, and Lowry is a good defender. But in the last few years, I think uh, he's fallen off a little bit in terms of defense. Not to the point where he's bad, just to where he's not as elite as he used to be. And uh, Fred has picked up a bit of that slack. What about the rest of the roster? Like uh, some of the younger guys and the other role players. Um, is there a guy where you see, um, you know, does have potential uh, to be an elite defender out of that group? It's tricky. It's, it's tough to predict like how guys are going to develop defensively because uh, so much of it is about intelligence. And that is just a hard thing to gauge. Um, but, uh, I I think Terrence Davis has a lot of great defensive tools. Um, he has really great foot speed. He's really explosive. Um, whether he can like rein that in and, and become a a great perimeter defender remains to be seen. Um, but he has, he has some potential there for sure. And then like other guys, like I would have liked to see a bit more from O'Shea Brissett, like to see more minutes from him. I mean, uh, this season, but, uh, you know, he was dealing with injuries and stuff. So it's a little bit hard to say with somebody like him. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Matt Thomas. I was setting you up to say <laughs> Matt Thomas, Brad, and you blew it. I, I, uh, I'll hang up. Which is okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, you know, the, the new bulked up Matt Thomas, I wonder if that's going to, you know, affect oh, his stamina yeah, from shooting 15 three-pointers. <laughs> um, no, he's, uh, I thought that photo was Photoshopped as well. Yeah, so I know we've, gotten so much content about the food that is um in this nba bubble um apparently every nba player has gone fishing or golfing this weekend and we just saw that our boy bruno um you know broke his quarantine and now has to quarantine (laughs) for another eight days um what are some of your favorite things uh that have come out of the nba bubble so far I uh, I don't know about a favorite thing necessarily, but one of the things I am sort of finding amusing is the like uh, summer camp vibe that's going on right now uh, before any of the competition happens, because I think we'll be looking at it like we looked sort of at that like first week of lockdown. We were like, oh, this is crazy, but it's going to be over soon. But, you know, they're going to be in the bubble for, you know, three or four months, <laughs> a lot of people. And I think that novelty is going to wear off real quick. Um, especially once guys start playing games against each other and things get a little bit chippy. 
Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to the, uh, the the slow descent into people being pissed off. <laughs> yep the thing with the thing with NBA players too is that they are mostly uh, extroverts. Like you know they like to go out and, and have social lives. Um, I think players like uh, Demar Derozan might be the exception. You know he's talked so much throughout his career about you know how he just wants to stay in. He doesn't like to go out. And you know this bubble that they're in reminds me a lot. Like every year, um, you know for the last three four years, you know I do this you know one week trip after the season to kind of unwind, where I just book a trip to an all inclusive resort. Um, I guess that's not happening for like the next five years for me. Um, and it feels like that's um, what this is. Like they're just holed up in this resort. Um, obviously, they're there to play basketball and not to relax. But, you know, I was thinking about it. If I was there as a player, you know, I'd feel all right in that environment. Like, I don't think I would get bored. I would just, you know, bring my books, um, you know, do whatever I do uh, online, which, you know, we all kill like 10 hours a day on. Um, <laughs> I feel like I would be OK, but I don't trust the NBA players. Um, you're right. They're going to get bored really quickly, if not already. Yeah. And just like the the same options for stuff to do that's like it's like if you if when you go to summer camp it's like it's cool and then by the end sometimes you're like ready to go (laughs) um and uh and i think a lot of guys will be feeling that as as the weeks kind of wear on them in terms of playing games i think is going to be a little bit weird like just to take the travel totally out of that i think that's going to be weird and it's just going to sort of feel like a grind of like day on day off day on day off and that's uh that's kind of it yeah, where do you stand on kind of that being an advantage or disadvantage for teams in terms of, you know, how well teams usually play at home and on the road? I'm, I'm glad it's even footing for everybody. I, I think, I don't know, it's, it's so hard to gauge. Like, I don't know if it'll feel more like an away game because people aren't ready, like playing in a different gym than what they're used to, or if people will feel like, you know, nobody's out there booing them or cheering for the other team and it will like stop teams from getting momentum up. Um, yeah, it's tough to say, like I could see it being an advantage or a disadvantage, but I don't know who necessarily something like that would favor. I think, I think ultimately it will favor teams that know how to stay focused and just like kind of block everything out and just like take the games as they come which I think, you know, I think the Raptors are probably like that. You know, teams with a lot of veteran leadership, probably the Raptors, Clippers, Lakers, maybe the Bucks. Um, you know, so, some of these uh, older teams that uh, that have the top shelf talent. Yeah, just the Raptors. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting too, I was thinking about this. Like, obviously a lot of, some of these players do feed off the fans' energy a lot. Um, like, you know, with the Raptors specifically, I could probably point to someone like uh, a Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, not not to say that, you know, in this neutral bubble environment without fans that he's not going to bring the same energy on the court. But I do wonder if it will affect some of these guys who really do feed off the fans. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little unfortunate. Like I, we're going to talk about uh, a, a game against the Pacers that happened earlier this season, a little bit later. And um, I was that was in Toronto and the crowd was just really getting the Raptors back into the game, getting them so hyped. And I was wondering like, Oh, does a big comeback like that happen in the bubble? If, if, you know, Lowry's not feeling his adrenaline spiking from the crowd, just going crazy and stuff like that. 
Yeah, and so much of that, and I know we'll get into it, but even like kind of the full court press. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when you're a team on the road and we saw this several times this year, you know, in this Pacers game that we're going to talk about. Um, and I guess the best example, obviously, is the Mavericks game when they blew the 30 point lead. Right. Um, the crowd noise plays a huge part in that, right? Like it does um, create a bit of a panic for the other team. So we're going to get into, like you mentioned, uh, a Raptors Pacers game uh, from February, I believe. Yep. And um, just want to revisit uh, Toronto's 15 game win streak. In general, um, you know, when I look back on this 2020 season so far, it's kind of amazing to me. Uh, well, number one, the Raptors already uh, cracked their uh, wins total um, based on Vegas uh, preseason predictions, <laughs> which is incredible because it was a shortened season. Yeah, And it's just when you look back, I mean, the 15 game win streak, which we'll go into, um, that was just one of so many memorable moments from this team. Like, I can't think of not even just another Raptors team, but just another NBA team having such a memorable, like what, 64 games of the regular season. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty incredible to watch the way it unfolded from, you know, from the tip off on, on ring night all the way through, uh, through the lockdown. They just like, they played with so much heart and they missed so many guys for so many games. Um, But it just seemed like somebody new would step up every single night. Uh, You know, different guys getting it done, leading the team and scoring that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was beautiful to see. You couldn't, couldn't really ask for a better title defense season from a squad, especially after losing two starters, including your best player. Um, I, I certainly didn't expect the Raptors to be quite this good. Yeah. So the 15 game win streak, uh, you know, first of all, we can't talk about this win streak without, um, you know, me giving myself uh, credit for uh, predicting this. Um, and, you know, just for everyone listening, the key to predicting a franchise record win streak is just every year uh, pull up your team's uh, schedule and you know pick the weakest part of the schedule and make the prediction. And you never know; one of these years, uh, it'll be right. No one remembers uh, all the other predictions that I've made. Well, except for the ninety-nine point eight percent thing with Kawhi, which people <laughs> still give me a hard time with. But I'm taking full credit for this win streak. It was a lot of fun just watching the whole thing unfold. Oh man, yeah, it, it was really great. Um... Uh, like when you when your team gets on a run like that and you can just like tune in and watch the game and every single time you watch your team ends up winning they just end up pulling it out night after night it feels so great turning on the tv to watch the next game um it just adds like another uh just another level of excitement to it that uh that you don't get quite as much when your team's playing like more like 500 ball yeah, and I don't know how long you've been watching the Raptors, but I feel like all of us who have watched the Raptors um, for at least uh, predating the We the North era, like we remember seasons when it would take them like four months to win 15 games. <laughs> and I feel like there's still remnants of that. Like even though the Raptors have won a championship, like there's still at least for me a part of me that just still really uh, tries to take a step back and just appreciate the position that this team is in and this organization is in. Yeah, it, it uh, you sort of have to like rewire your brain so that you <laughs> you like aren't defeatist, so that like a twenty point lead gets cut to a ten point lead, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, game's over. You know, they're they're gonna come back and win, and 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 it's over. And now it's like the exact opposite. No, it's amazing, and and you know the defeatist attitude is interesting that you bring it up. You know, I feel like I was still a little bit in that mood last year in the playoffs. And it probably didn't really turn until maybe like near the end of the Bucks series for me. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a constant growth process, and I, I find even even sometimes this season, I'll I'll you know the wraps will get down ten. I'm like, well, game over, damn it! Like, just <laughs> I I want to turn it off, and then it's like you know somebody hits two threes, and now it's like a one possession game. Um, and uh, so yeah, you sort of have to like switch off the part of your brain that that overreacts negatively. My uh, my fiance is a a newer Raptors fan over the last couple years. So she hasn't been like infected with the same years and years of losing. Uh, so it's nice to have her there to, to keep a bit of optimism going when, uh, when things get tight. Yeah. So jealous of everyone who jumped on the Raptors bandwagon, especially during the playoffs last season. Um, just what a great time uh, to, to jump on and not have to have the pain. And, and um, you know, we are describing a relationship with a sports team, but honestly, it has all the makings <laughs> of a toxic relationship. I'm just going to put that out there. Sports, uh, rooting for sports teams is just toxic in general. So the win streak, um, you know, some general stats about it. So the Raptors lost to the Spurs uh, in DeMar DeRozan's uh, second time back to Toronto on January 12th, 105-104. Uh, um, I want to say they blew a fourth quarter lead in that game. That sounds right. Um, yeah, uh, and that was the game when Demar Derozan dunked on Chris Boucher. Oh man, Chris Boucher <laughs> was sent to the bench uh, and did not uh, appear for the next two weeks. Uh, he was quiet on Instagram for two weeks. It was not a coincidence. Uh, so the Raptors set his fell. account to private. <laughs> I think he did it on the bench, and that's why uh, Nick uh, benched him for five games. Um, so the Raptors fell to twenty-five and fourteen, and three days later they go on the road and beat uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. That was actually one of the most low-key, exciting games of the season. So here are the 15 games that they won in a row uh, at OKC, at home against Washington, at Minnesota, at Atlanta, home against Philly. uh, There was no Joel Embiid. uh, At New York, at the Spurs, uh, people will remember that was the same day that Kobe passed away and players found out um, as they were warming up. And, you know, Pascal... I think had what, like 25 points in the first quarter, uh, I want to say, you know, at home versus Atlanta, at Cleveland, at Detroit. That was the game when Norm, Mark and Pascal all got all got hurt in the same game. We should uh, forfeit Detroit games from now on. Yeah, no, seriously, I'm I'm glad they're not in the bubble Um, versus Chicago. uh, And then the home and home versus Indiana at, at at Indiana. The Raptors won both of them. And then they won at home against Brooklyn and Minnesota. And finally, uh, on the final game before the All-Star break, uh, their win streak ended at Brooklyn. Uh, it was a b- little bit anticlimactic. I just remember the Raptors having a terrible shooting game and just couldn't catch up. You know, I was hoping for something more dramatic. Um, the one stat that stood out to me during the win streak uh, was just honestly the distribution of scoring on offense. You know, you look at just their leading scores. Um, you know, they had a different leading score almost every night uh, during that streak. Uh, Norm, Fred, Pascal, and Serge led the team in scoring each three times. Uh, Kyle twice and, and Terrence Davis once. Um, what are your favorite memories? Do you have favorite memories about that win streak? I, I don't know how many. I, I, I sort of just remember the feeling of watching those games. None of those games in particular stand out to me in a huge, huge way. Um, but, uh, but just sort of watching different guys step up like that, that was really incredible. I I think this 15 game win streak is sort of when we learned that a lot of guys on the Raptors can be doing more than they had been asked to do to this point. Um, especially once guys started going down with injuries, uh, it just like, you know, Terrence Davis stepping up and Norman Powell, 
come stepping into a huger role this season. Like his scoring has been unbelievable, shooting 40% for the second straight season from downtown and then his finishing at the rim and just over his overall decision making, he sort of solidified in my mind that he can be a starter this year. Um, where I, I wouldn't have necessarily said that in years before. Um, Siakam sort of showed all season that he was an elite scorer, um, like coming into the season and, and wondering if he would be able to hand the, handle the scoring load. Um, those, those questions just got erased so quickly, uh, which I'm really appreciative of. And, uh, and yeah, even Serge, like we, we sort of used him last season as like, uh, you know, a guy who just you know, little pick and pop action, maybe get some putbacks and stuff like that. Use his size on the inside. But he has some games like the one we're going to talk about, where he he just goes off, <laughs> and uh, and when Serge gets cooking, it's uh, it's quite a sight to behold. Yeah, it's interesting on like a team with this many competent shooters. I do feel like the heat check guy a lot of times, and I think Norm did take that uh, crown away, um, you know, with his kind of scoring output uh, before he got injured again. But like Serge is like the heat check guy on this team. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, like when Serge has a three pointer in the air, that's an electrifying second. Uh, <laughs> when it's just like lofting up to the rim, and you don't quite know how it's going to fall, but I think he's shooting like forty percent this season again, which is uh, like incredible for him and his skill set. You know that just that opens up the floor so much. Yeah, you know I was listening. Uh, you were on Will's uh, Raptors Over Everything pod last week. Um, everyone should check that out. First of all, you got to stop watching Derek Jones Jr. on defense. All right, Brad, you got you got to spend your time better. Um, no, but you were mentioning, um, you know, and I I guess this was an obvious thing, but you were just talking about how like the top seven guys, um, even the top eight guys, even if you want to include Terrence Davis, like all of them are really good three point shooters. Yeah, that that's one of the Raptors' biggest competitive advantages is just that they can pretty much always keep a lineup on the floor of five guys who can shoot there. There are a lot of teams where once the, everything is funneled towards getting the bad shooter, the ball on the perimeter for it, for the, from the defensive, the defense's perspective. And once you get the ball in the bad shooter's hands, you let them have the shot. And that sort of gives you a second to re reset your defense and get everything sort of back into position and the Raptors just won't give you that time to breathe uh, because, you know, even if it gets into Gasol's hands, guess who's also shooting 40% from downtown? If it gets into Siakam's hands, he's shooting 36%. And a lot of those are like tough pull-up threes from the top of the break or above the break. So, um, yeah, the Raptors just, uh, they're dangerous offensively. Yeah, this is why it still makes me so upset that Kawhi left because, you know, a part of me just still always thinks about just how the Raptors probably would have just rolled over literally everybody this season if Kawhi was still here. I, I think they would be like heavy favorites. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like heavy favorites. Um, actually, they probably win less regular season games for some weird reason because um, Kawhi would have been sitting in and out of the lineup and I'm not sure they would have found um, the same chemistry that kind of this team was able to achieve, especially as we saw during this win streak. So I wanted to key in on uh, the February 5th game when the Pacers uh, visited the Toronto Raptors. Uh, this is not to be confused because the Raptors played the Pacers like three times in a span of like seven games Man, on I the schedule. Man, I hate that scheduling. 
<laughs> this happened with Orlando with Magic, Magic too, right? Yeah. Uh, I just want to put on record, uh, I will pay $99.99 to never watch a Raptors Magic game again. Oh, um, if the NBA just wants to... <laughs> four, probably five in the playoffs, I think. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. Come on. Uh, I know you can do this, Jamal Crawford, uh, Michael Beasley. <laughs> I know Chris, you can hang Chris on. To this. Yeah, I uh, still don't believe that's a real player, but uh, you know, I haven't done my research yet. So this was the game. This was the game, not to be confused with, uh, you know, the Matt Thomas game. Um, I believe that was when the Raptors beat them by like forty points. Oh man! Um, after the All Star break, but uh, so the Pacers came to Toronto, and this was the Raptors going for their franchise record twelfth straight win. And I mean, before we even get into the game. Uh, most people remember this game because Serge showed up with his big ass scarf before the game. That was a great week in uh, Raptors like secondary content. Uh, that was sort of like peak Serge of that class, peak OG, just sort of, sort of uh, doing his comedy shtick, um, and then uh, rolling up with that. <laughs> like that scarf is wild. I, I I went and checked out the picture again, and I was like, this is like an insane choice. <laughs> Yeah, so I believe Malika Andrews at ESPN already wrote a story about this, but you know, I was told um, that that scarf was purchased from a department store in Toronto, and it was uh, basically I want to say it was just like a, like a mattress or some kind of fabric. And it had to be cut, obviously, and, and custom made <laughs> for Surge. And the whole operation, apparently, uh, from the person who told me, like it was, it all happened in the span of that day. Um, you know, I think the video had come out a, a few days before, uh, you know, when OG uh, said that he had put Surge on scarves. And this somehow became a national discussion. Like, this is just where the NBA is at in the year 2020. Um, yeah. I remember Kendrick Perkins uh, showed up, I think for an ESPN broadcast uh, with a scarf um, and asked if it was art. Uh, we haven't even talked about just Serge, you know, misusing the term art um, or I guess using it properly. Um, and so this was a whole single day operation. I think Serge had requested this on game day and this didn't get into his hands until like uh, an hour uh, before he was leaving for the arena. Obviously, this became a huge deal. So Raptors going for their franchise record win streak. Uh, they are without Marcus Gasol and Norman Powell in this game. And everyone should check out Brad's uh, breakdown of this game on YouTube. Um, honestly, the, the breakdowns when the Raptors win are super enjoyable, especially for a win like this. Um, I'm not Joe Wolfon, so I did not spend <laughs> three hours watching this entire game back. Like, come on, I got better things to do, even during a pandemic. So I started this game with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon had just hit a three. The Pacers are on an 8-0 run. They are up 114 to 103 with three minutes and 30 seconds left. Uh, Brad, what do you remember about this comeback? I know we're going to go through it, but so I I, uh, I rewatched this game yesterday in its entirety, and before we even got to the comeback, uh, there was a there was a nice Raptors seventeen to two run in the third quarter as well that I had forgotten about, uh, where they were just locking in on defense and they were just going off like it was unbelievable. Terrence Davis trying to go like one on five on a fast break, he gets blocked. <laughs> And and then the Raptors uh, stop a transition attempt at the at the other end, and then Terrence Davis shoots like a twenty eight footer and drains it, like just no conscience at all. Um, so like the lead up to this in the comeback was was pretty interesting because the Raptors were up ten after the first quarter, and then in that second quarter they got outscored by twenty five, uh, 
<laughs> went into halftime down 15 and then sort of tried to make comebacks over the course of the game and just could never quite close the gap. And then, yeah, once once we got into the last three, four minutes, that's when things uh, things really, you know, the Raptors, they, they did it. They turned it up. Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, 43 points in the second quarter from the Indiana Pacers. I feel like everyone on that team made a three during that quarter. You know, they shot 19 for 39 overall from three in this game. And like you mentioned, the Raptors uh, closed the deficit in the third quarter, uh, but then the Pacers kind of pulled away again. So we pick up with three and a half minutes left. So Brogdon had just put the Pacers up by 11. Uh, Kyle hits two free throws, and it's a nine-point deficit. And the Pacers call timeout, and out of the timeout, the Raptors bring out the full court press and you know brad not just with this game in general like just why has the raptors full court press been so effective this season i think part of it is they they don't use it unless they think it can be successful kind of like they don't they don't run it out every game they use it pretty sparingly um and and they tend to use it when teams maybe have a little bit of shaky ball handling on the floor um, and when they're a little bit desperate and, and a big part of what makes it successful is just the, uh, IQ of the guys on the floor. There's a lot of like Kyle Lowry hiding behind an offensive player to jump into a passing lane or, or stunting towards the ball and then retreating back to, uh, to a guy who might get a pass. Um, and it's just like those, those fakes on like defensive fakes are just make guys second guess their decisions and when you're trying to break a press you only have a few seconds to do it um so if you can make somebody second second guess themselves um you have you have a chance to be successful yeah and i think there's no better example and i'm going to do a separate podcast on that 30 point comeback against the mavs uh there's no better example than that dallas game because it was kyle and no disrespect to the four guys out there but you know it wasn't like it was the four most skilled guys uh, on the Raptors uh, out there that, you know, led that comeback against the Mavs. And, and, you know, I think that just shows obviously Kyle's IQ, but also, like you said, um, kind of the cohesion of the five guys out there. And you mentioned this on your YouTube breakdown, and I hadn't noticed this um, until I watched that and you pointed it out. Like the Pacers do break the press on the first few possessions after the Raptors pull it out here in the fourth quarter, but they like insist on running down the shot clock. Uh, like, you know, Brogdon and I think Oladipo, um, they, they like would just pull the ball out and just dribble down the clock um, and just not really take advantage of, you know, some of those odd man advantages that they would have had once they crossed half court. Yeah. There are a couple of possessions where they get it into the front court and like there's one defender under the basket and whoever Sabonis has the ball or something and Doug McDermott is in the corner, but because they want to run the clock down, Sabonis could just drive it at Ibaka and then kick it to the corner, but he doesn't. Uh, he sort of pulls it out and waits for the defense, and then they run the clock down. This is I feel like the Raptors always used to do this when uh, Dwayne Casey was the coach. Like, you get a lead <laughs> in the fourth quarter, and there's fully like enough time for the other team to come back, but you're still running the clock down instead of like pressing advantages uh, just to try to minimize the number of possessions. And... and like the late, they're what the Pacers were doing in through the first, well, especially in the second quarter, was they were attacking everybody who got the ball would attack right away, and it was getting the Raptors in rotations and get uh, leading to a lot of open threes, and and they just stopped attacking the ball in the last three minutes or attacking the rim, and uh, yeah, it it became a problem for them, obviously. 
Yeah. So, you know, out of the timeout, um, you know, the Raptors bring out the full court press and, and then Demantis Sabonis is fouled. He hits two free throws. So the Pacers are up by 11 still at this point, And there's about three minutes left. Uh, you know, Pascal uh, has a nice feed to Kyle on the other end. Um, but Kyle misses a layup at the basket. Oh, so the Pacers have the ball up 11 with under three minutes left. And, you know, specifically, personally for me, uh, you know, I had staked a lot on this win streak. Uh, you know, everybody just kept, you know, looking towards me when the Raptors, ha- you know, started running up these wins. And, you know, I was actually sitting on, on Media Row at the arena and I was freaking out. Um, I think Louis Zaltzman can confirm this. I was drafting a statement in my notes app to apologize uh, for the Raptors not breaking the win streak. Because at this point, I mean, 11-point lead with three minutes left. You know, no matter how many times I shout, never underestimate the heart of a champion. Uh, at some point, you have to expect that, you know, maybe this is just not their night. Um, yeah. But Malcolm Brogdon misses a three. Uh, on the other end. And this is another possession where they just run the clock down and, and just throw up a shot. And then Pascal on the other end, this is really when I feel like the comeback starts. Um, he goes one-on-one with Justin Holiday at the top of the key, gets in the paint, uh, you know, does a nice spin move, gets a basket, uh, uh, draws the foul, completes the three-point play. Um, so the Raptors are down eight with uh, two and a half minutes left. You know, we saw a lot of Pascal um, here in crunch time. And I know that, you know, in general, the crunch time numbers have been very positive for the Raptors this season, even though obviously it's such a huge question without the ability to just give the ball to Kawhi. Um, Watching this game and just watching the team in general, um, how do you feel about this team in crunch time on offense? I feel pretty positive, especially against in a game like this, where the Pacers just don't quite have a guy who can guard Pascal. They, I think they were playing Jeremy Lamb on him a fair bit. Uh, they were missing TJ Warren in this game. It's worth noting. Um, and uh, yeah, they. I think they missed Warren's size a little bit because if Pascal ever gets a smaller guy on him, like it's just over. He'll he'll get into the paint and do his little you know nice footwork, spin this way, spin this way, and and put up a little floater and and put it in. Um, and and. I feel pretty good about their crunch offense, crunch time offense overall. Um, it it's sort of depends on the matchup, though, for Siakam. Uh, I find with, with bigger defenders, he sometimes struggles. Yeah, so do you think, I guess, a team like the Sixers and obviously the Bucks, uh, do you feel like those could be a problem for him? I think I think against teams like that is when the Raptors need to be sort of firing on all cylinders um, because w- one of the... Like one of the things I noticed actually watching this full game back, uh, the Pacers were doing a lot of double teaming and stuff like that. And Siakam's passing was really nice in the first half. And if he can sort of draw attention and then dish it out and guys are hitting shots and, and attacking themselves, um, then I don't, I don't see any wor- reason to be concerned. Um, I just, I don't think it's quite going to be the same sort of situation where, uh, you know, last season we could just kind of get it to Kawhi and say like, all right, go to town. Um, but and at the same time, like it's worth remembering that Kawhi didn't do all the scoring last season, and you know he he did a lot of the that passing out of a double team as well, um, and that's just that's just something you have to be good at. Yeah, and and I think you know we do need to take a step back when it comes to Pascal, um, even though he's obviously exceeded a lot of people's expectations, not just throughout his career, but this season specifically, uh, this is still his first go round, you know, in this primary role on offense. And, you know, I feel like whether it's the playmaking and we've seen from time to time, you know, when, you know, his shot is not falling, uh, sometimes he might shy away 
um, from being, uh, you know, a little aggressive uh, on the offensive end. I feel like those are things that he's just going to have to go through and get the reps in the playoffs. You know, for me, I feel like, like you mentioned, um, it's going to be a team effort. But I do feel good, you know, especially with Kyle running the offense and, you know, you add a healthy Mark to the mix. You know, I feel like Mark will be really critical for them, uh, especially in the half court offense. Yeah, even if all he does is like swing passes or, you know, how he gets it at the elbow and then like send somebody for a, a backdoor cut, that kind of thing. Um, that's really valuable. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I love Lowry. I think he's like just a great decision maker. And anytime you get him involved in the play, whether it's as a screener or as the ball handler or whatever, um, he, he just does the right thing almost all the time. Um, so that, that's a nice luxury to have if you're going to, if you are going to put the ball primarily in Pascal's hands or somebody else's hands. Um, and, and one of the things I'd like to see from Pascal is, uh, is, um, yeah, you mentioned him getting a little bit timid at times when his shot's not working. I don't know that I've seen him put up a lot of threes in crunch time. And I think something that, that might matter is his ability to just, if a, if a guy tries to go under a screen on him just pop that three at the top in crunch time. Um, and I don't recall really seeing that a lot uh, this season. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good point to, to kind of call out. And, you know, I think that maybe just goes back to uh, the comfort level that he has uh, with the three-point shot. And I think, you know, shooting threes in the first quarter of a game versus, you know, five minutes left in the fourth quarter are very different. And, you know, we've seen other players um like Demar, um JV even that shoot threes in the regular season and then it's just not part of their game in the playoffs so the Raptors are down eight after the Pascal three-point play and then on the full court prize Pascal fouls Justin Holiday, who makes two free throws so the Pacers are up 10 with 220 left and you know just to note they don't score again uh, those are their last two points. So on the other end, Pascal gets a basket from a really nice pass from Serge. Uh, so they're down eight. So on that one, uh, Serge got switched onto a smaller guy. I think it might have been Justin Holiday. So a huge mismatch there. He gets the ball in the post. And then DeMontis Sabonis like stunts toward him like he's going to double and then goes back to Pascal. Um, and Serge sort of doesn't overreact. And he waits for DeMontis Sabonis to come over with, the, with a hard double. Uh, and then once he does that, he drops the pass to Siakam, and it's just that's a beautiful pass by Serge. He had a, he had a nice passing yeah. game. Yeah, you no, know, Serge, uh, his playmaking has improved uh, so much. I think we started to see a little bit of that in the playoffs last season. Uh, it's just cool to see a player um, who's been in the league for a while and who's thirty now uh, still improving. Uh, you know, parts of his game. So the Pacers have a shot clock violation. Uh, you know, on the next possession. Uh, then Kyle uh, hits a three from the top of the key. So it's a five-point game at this point. And, you know, the fans uh, in the arena are starting to sense that something might be happening here. Uh, and here's where, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, so the press, and then Malcolm Brogdon throws uh, this pass to Miles Turner, um, which goes out of bounds. And after, I believe, a 10-minute review, oh, um, it's Raptors ball. First of all, they need to do something with this. I don't know what... They need to do with the instant replay system because I am all for, you know, getting the call right. But I just don't feel like it should take 10 minutes for Sakakis to review. Yeah, it. I wonder what the like error rate would be if you just did a hard cap of like whatever we think after one minute 
of review time, we just go with that. I wonder what the error rate on calls would be. Um, because yeah, like that extra nine minutes of review really takes the air out of a, a game that is very exciting. Yeah, or just let Tony Brothers, uh, well, maybe the wrong word, but just let Tony Brothers like look at the Jumbotron and just decide. But I will I will give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. Because um, it favors the Raptors. Watching, it, it, number one, because it favors the Raptors. Uh, clearly, you know uh, what podcast you're on, Brad. But um, the other thing is just that I think it was a hard play to, to kind of look Absolutely. at um, in terms of different angles uh, that they could. So the Raptors get the ball. Uh, this is a huge swing for them. Obviously, uh, they're down five, and Pascal draws a foul on Sabonis in the post. Uh, he only makes one of two free throws. So they are now trailing by four with a minute 15 left. And then comes probably my, well, my second favorite play of this comeback is, you know, the full court press finally forces a turnover. And maybe you can walk uh, me through this play because I know you broke it down in your video in terms of what Kyle did. Um, you know, obviously Pascal's a hero of this, you know, his athleticism. He forces a steal at half court and then just drives it the length of the length of the basket and gets a finger roll uh, to make it a two-point game with a minute left. Uh, break down that turnover for me. Yeah, so so this one is, is really created by a, an incredible move by Siakam. Uh, who who was bringing the ball up? Do you remember? I don't. I want to say Brock. Okay. So, anyways, Siakam is sort of at the uh, at the hash mark by where the the coaches stand, and and he sprints toward the you know center court at the three point line, and and then he just takes like one big step and then darts back towards half court and is able to intercept that pass. And that's sort of what I mean about the Raptors stunting and like changing directions and jumping into passing lanes. Like there aren't many guys in the league who can make that change of direction and cover that much ground in, in such a small time. Um, and, and, you know, Siakam makes that initial cut towards the middle of the court and it just tricks Brogdon into thinking that he's safe for half a second. So he picks up his dribble and throws the pass but by the in the you know second and a half that it takes him to do that, Siakam's already sprinting back towards half court and just a beautiful interception. And then he just goes coast to coast and finishes above the rim like that. That was a a great finish. Yeah, there's only a handful of players who I think could pull off that sequence, and I think it just speaks to again uh, just Pascal's raw talent and athleticism. Uh, do you feel like the Raptors are going to use? the full court press in the playoffs, you know, obviously I know in the postseason, you know, the game preparation for the other team uh, goes up probably like a hundredfold. And, you know, for sure uh, opposing teams are going to be, I guess, uh, more ready for this. Um, that's not to say that the full court press won't be effective for the Raptors. Uh, do you see them using it? And do you think um, it will come in handy for them in the playoffs? I think it has the potential to come in handy. Like I'm just thinking like in, in a matchup with the Bucks, for example, if, you have uh, Giannis and Lopez on the floor at the same time. Those are not necessarily the guys you want bringing the ball up against pressure. So that might be a case where if you can get one of those guys trapped in the backcourt, like say Lopez is inbounding the ball or something, so he passes it into to Bledsoe or George Hill or whoever, and they start to bring the ball up, the Raptors trap and then try to reverse it back to the inbounder. Now the ball's in Lopez's hands, and that's a, a dangerous place to be. Um, or even if it's Giannis's hands, you know, he, he has a pretty good handle, but facing full court pressure, that's just not something he has to do a lot. Um, so I think the Raptors might try to throw it on. 
And, and I mean, like this game, they'll probably throw it on when they get desperate, you know, when it's a 12 point game with three minutes left and, uh, and they're like, well, we're probably going to lose anyways. Let's just go for it. Yeah. I would actually want the Raptors and Nick to kind of pull this out. Not late in the game. Yeah. Like maybe do it coming out of, you know, the first quarter. Or off a made free throw like they did with Siakam. Yeah, Yeah. a a made free throw. Just take a look for like a few possessions. Oh, that'd be interesting. Um, Yeah, or just coming out of halftime, right? Um, Obviously, you know, the the press is something that you can just take a look at for a few possessions. And, you know, if you are just giving away easy baskets um, on the other other end, um, you can give up on it. Um, I just feel like, if they want to surprise teams, um, you know, this is a good kind of last ditch, uh, desperate move, um, you know, in the fourth quarter when you're trailing. Uh, I think it'd be cool to see them um, just take a look at it. And, you know, Nick Nurse is the coach that would do it. Yeah, definitely. And then all the other coaches. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. Um, except Mike Budenholzer. Cause, uh, well, they have their know, system and it just... works. So, <laughs> yeah, he won't change it for anyone. So, the. Um, Pascal gets that coast-to-coast basket, and at this point, the Raptors are trailing by two. Throw after he finishes that, the uh, the Pacers quickly tried to rush an inbound, but Nate McMillan called the timeout. But the Raptors also deflected that inbound pass, so they're they're lucky they got the timeout because it was about to be another turnover too. Yeah, that's right, and that was a little bit um, controversial because I think on the broadcast too. It was pointed out that I think the ball had already been inbound. Yeah, probably. Um, before Nate McMillan had asked for a timeout. Uh, but that's one of those things where I think the refs are just going on uh, reflex and, you know, the coach is calling a timeout. Uh, so Victor Oladipo, um, you know, has an ISO possession on, on the other end. And here's again, like, you know, I know we talk so much about how a lot of Kyle's uh, best plays, you know, it's hard to kind of, you know, it's hard for them to show up on the box score. Um, here he kind of steps out and, and meets them at the basket and Oladipo throws up this really awkward uh, floater and, and misses. And we go to the other end and this is Serge um, hitting another iconic three uh, with 29 and a half seconds left uh, to put the Raptors ahead 119 uh, to 118. Uh, anything you wanted to add about those two possessions there? Uh, Lowry's Lowry's move was great defensively. Uh, he basically stepped up just above the charge circle like he would take a charge on Oladipo, and Oladipo saw it coming, so he didn't get the charge, but it still made him like stop short and just kind of flip the shot up. Um, and and so, you know, like you said, that doesn't show up in the box score even as a charge. And uh, but But that helped force the miss. And then that surge three... Uh, Sabonis was contesting it pretty heavily too, but Serge just knocked it down. It was beautiful. Yeah, a uh, perfect way to cap the evening for him, you know, showing up with the scarf. Uh, he had to back it up and he did 30 <laughs> points, seven rebounds, uh, the go ahead three, obviously. So, uh, the Pacers have the ball, there's 30 seconds left, um, and it's a bit of a scramble on the offensive end for them. Um, Oladipo misses a three. They grab the offensive rebound, and then Malcolm Brogdon's driving to the basket, and he's stripped by Fred. Uh, Terrence Davis gets the ball, and that's it. And, you know, rewatching it, obviously I only watched the last five minutes of the game, but uh, this just all happened 
in a blur. The Raptors were trailing by double digits, and suddenly uh, it was a 12-game win streak. Yeah, it was uh, It was just beautiful comeback, you know, sort of firing on both sides of the ball. And, uh, and I, I mean, the Raptors, this was like a the sort of game you win as the defending champions. Like, this is just like pure execution on both sides of the ball down the stretch when it matters most, and, and they looked incredible. Yeah, and, you know, I got to say, you know, the Raptors just, if they can steal uh, one of these games, um, you know, in each of their series, um, they're going to be really hard to beat. You know, obviously, I don't envision them having a comeback of this nature. But, you know, at this point, I wouldn't put anything uh, past this team. So Kyle has an incredible game in this one. 32 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds. Uh, Pascal, 25 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, and as I mentioned, Surge, 30 points, 7 rebounds, and one long-ass scarf. Um, yeah, it was a great it was a great game and a great win streak, man. And I thought it was impressive, too, that they went and beat the Pacers on the road like two nights later. Yeah, yeah, I thought there might be a little bit of uh, a letdown or the Pacers come out ready to kill them after after that one. But uh, the Raptors just look great. And, uh, and Van Vliet only had 10 points in this game, but he had 7 assists as well. There was a lot of nice passing in this game. Lowry, Lowry's 10 assists were huge as well. And the other thing that I liked uh, from Siakam, he had kind of a tough first half, but he got to the free throw line 11 times in this game, which, uh, which doesn't always happen. Um, and that's, that's really valuable. Yeah, so, you know, kind of big picture takeaways from this. I know we talked a lot about the crunch time offense, um, the full court press. One of the things I wanted to ask you, because you talked about how the Raptors have, uh, you know, seven to eight really competent three-point shooters as part of their core group in the playoffs. Um, how do you see kind of the trade-offs coming uh, with the closing lineup? Because obviously there's going to be competent guys who are going to have to sit. And we know Nick uh, likes to mix his, uh, his lineups based on situations. But the one thing I keep thinking about is kind of maybe a trade-off between Norm being on the floor versus OG down the stretch. Yeah, so one one of the things that you lose putting Norm on the floor instead of OG is a lot of times when the Raptors get into rotation, OG winds up being one of the guys on the low block who can do a little bit of rim protection, um, and and that just doesn't work quite as well if that's Norm in that position because it would probably be Norm, Fred, and Kyle, I'm assuming, all on the floor at the same time, and and you just lose a fair bit of size down uh, going from OG to Norm. Um, so it kind of depends what the other team is putting on the floor. Like, do you, it, are you, how much are you going to miss that size, really? Um, so, so that's sort of one thing that pops into my head in terms of Norm versus OG. Another thing that I think will be interesting, depending on how much Van Vliet's perimeter defense is needed, um, could be uh, swapping Norm for Fred as well. Um, just, just because of the way he can attack the rim in a way that Fred can't quite do. Um, you know, Fred's, uh, playmaking is, is really good and his three point shooting is really good. He's got, you know, infinite range, but, uh, but yeah, just a little bit of extra size from Norm and that ability to, uh, explode to the rim could be, could be huge as well. You know, I think, um, especially based on last year's playoff run, we know, um, outside of OG, um, and maybe Norm as well, because he's taken on a much bigger role, uh, what these guys can do in the playoffs, you know, when you look at those core guys, um, is there a guy where you say, you know, he's going to have to be the guy who outperforms um, expectations for the Raptors to really go far? Hmm. 
I mean, my expectations are already maybe pretty high. So in, <laughs> in terms of outperforming, I don't know. But in, in terms of like how the like the American media maybe sees players, uh, yeah, like I, I think I think people just will be shocked to watch Norm for six games in a row if he plays like he has this season. You know, um, I don't think people have necessarily internalized the idea that he's as good as he actually is. Um, he just sort of seems like, yeah, he's he's bench guy. He might hit a couple threes or something, but uh, he he can be huge. He can drop twenty on you easy. Um, so, so he would be one. Uh, another one that I I think will be big will be Gasol's uh, three point shooting. I, I kind of want to see him fire up like five plus a game because um, I think that's going to be huge, especially when they get to the Bucks. Um, the way they played their drop coverage, I, I just think you're going to need your bigs to to shoot some threes. Yeah, I still look at OG a lot in terms of, you know, not that, uh, you know, he needs to average 20 points a game, but if he can be uh, a really effective secondary score yeah. for them, um, just in terms of three-point shooting and things like that, it might ease up uh, some of these uh, lineup problems too in terms of if you're thinking about, um, you know, offense, versus defense trade-offs. But honestly, these are all really good problems. Yeah, well, and, um, and I mentioned earlier about uh, defenses trying to like funnel the ball to a particular shooter on the perimeter who's not as good. Like The other teams are going to be trying to funnel the ball to OG Ananobi because he's, he's just not as dangerous off the attack as like Siakam, Lowry, whoever. Um, so yeah, so he, he is going to have to knock down some shots. Um, and, and if he doesn't, um, then then I think he'll he'll get a quicker hook uh, for for somebody like Norm probably. I was gonna say I'm also excited to see uh, OG at the two a little bit too with some Gasol, Serge, Siakam, and OG lineups with whatever point guard. Um, I, I think that could be fun as well. <laughs> oh yeah, the the big lineup. Yeah. yeah, I think that'll that'll be super interesting. And I mean, I think it's a guarantee that Nick's gonna pull out some five-man lineups that have played zero minutes together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. During the regular season. And all of them will include Pat McCaw. Um, so uh, aside from all these different angles that we covered, you know, are there other, um, you know, questions that you have about the Raptors that you, you know, want to see answered, you know, heading into the playoffs or in the playoffs? Uh, most of my questions are are just about who, what's going to happen with that eighth or ninth spot in the rotation. I don't think the Raptors will go super deep. But over the course of the season, they've showed that they have depth. Um, but like, I don't think we're going to necessarily see a ton of Chris Boucher sightings or anything. Um, so I, I think that eighth man is probably going to be Terrence Davis. Uh, that's my hope anyways. Um, but then I, I'm curious to see if, if whether it's Rondé or McCaw, if they play like every game or if it's just like certain games, if, if, if they... Uh, if somebody's underperforming nurse tries to like throw them in for an injection of energy or something. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what, what he does with that. Um, but in terms of the the Raptors top seven guys, like I'm, I have, I'm sort of at the point where I'm comfortable enough with everybody's ability on both sides of the ball that I think it's pretty hard to miss with any, any combination. Yeah, no, I think that's the beautiful part about this team. And that's the reason why they can pull off a comeback uh, like this against the Pacers and win so many of these games um, just because of the structure that they have with the core group. I, I do think that's interesting. The eighth or ninth guy, um, you know, all Matt Thomas propaganda aside, um, I think Rondé would be interesting 
Um, but again, you know, if you put Rondé out there, as you know, um, you're gonna, you know, give up a lot on the offensive mm-hmm. end. And I'm not sure how functional that will be in the playoffs beyond like say a three minute stretch in the second quarter. But it also like part, part of watching the Raptors this season in particular was it wasn't just that like Rondé was on the floor. It was that Rondé's on the floor and two other Raptors are injured. So he's on the floor with like Boucher or McCaw or something like that. And I'm wondering if you put Rondé on the floor with like Gasol, Fred, Siakam, like uh, surrounded with talented offensive players so that there's not as much of a load on him. Like you're not asking him to create or anything. Um, I wonder if, if he has a bit more of a chance to be effective in that role just because the defense has to respect other guys more. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Um, and lastly, you know, for me, uh, you know, in honor of my favorite movie, Uncut Gems, um, I have the Howard Ratner Memorial $155,000 parlay for this Raptors Pacers game. First of all, Howard would have bet on the Raptors winning 12 straight games. So he would have been sweating this entire street <laughs> for three and a half weeks. Um, but in this specific game, he would have taken Kyle Lowry over 19.5 points, Serge Ibaka over 15.5 points, and he would have taken the Raptors money line with five minutes left in the fourth quarter <laughs> when they were trailing and he would have cashed out on it when Serge hit the three. So uh, shout outs to Howard, uh, rest in peace. Uh, Brad, I really appreciate you making the time and, and coming on and dropping knowledge as always. And honestly, um, you know, I know the world is uh, really shitty right now. And obviously the pandemic is very much still happening, especially in the U S and especially where the NBA is, but you know, I am excited. You know, I hope they can pull off um, this whole bubble campus thing um, and everybody can stay safe and that, you know, basketball can come back, even though it will be in Disney World. Fingers crossed. Thanks for having me on.